Tonight, I've got a, a topic that is so has been on my heart for the last uh, number of months, probably five five months or so, and never before have I been so fascinated by this reality. But on the other hand, never before have I been so lost for words as how to how to bring to life this thing that goes so far beyond words. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I'll need your attention for the whole time, um, and I'll need you to be listening to what I'm to what I'm saying. Um, and the reason why I need your attention for the whole time um, is that there'll be bits and pieces, and it's your job to put these bits and pieces together um, to hear, hopefully, what, what the Spirit is saying. Um, Revelation says, he who has ears to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, the churches being us as his people. So if you have ears to hear tonight, you'll hear from the Spirit. I, I hope not I hope not from me. Um, there's going to be nothing in and of my articulation tonight that's going to bring you any... Speak up. There's going to be nothing in and of my articulation or my fancy words or good analogies that's going to do anything. Um, so we just have to, to ask that God will speak. Hey? Um, what, I, what I would like to talk about tonight um, is actually God's purpose for the church. Um, did you know that? Did you know that, that God actually has, he has a purpose for the church? Um, I know in the past I had lots of purposes for the church, and I know lots of people here probably did as well. Um, probably involved some form of evangelism. I wanted to, to get lost people saved. Um, purposes like getting the, getting the sick healed. Um, purposes like feeding the, um, feeding the poor, healing the sick. Now, all of these are right, um, but there's something so much greater in terms of God's purpose for the church. And, and this is the, the challenge for all of us, is how can, we, how can we know what his purpose for his people are? Um, and so tonight I'm going to, to speak to you about something that's called God's wisdom. I'm going to talk to you about the cross, and I'm going to talk to you about unity as, as this body. So just keep that in the back of your mind, that these things are all so related. Um, and yet, so I'm going to start off in, in Ephesians th- chapter 3. So this will be our main, main verse if you want to flick to that. And actually before that, Ben, if you just want to flick up that first slide, um, continuing with the theme of the last few months, um, if you have questions or thoughts about anything that I'm speaking about, this is my cell phone number, um, and what we're going to do is I've just got my, my cell phone here, so um, if you have any questions or thoughts of anything that I'm saying, take, take this number down right now, um, and we'll do question, question time at the end. Um, you'll probably need this this time. Um, You'll probably have questions, so take that number down, um, and we'll do questions at the end. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 3. So, remember, we're talking about God's purpose here for the church. So this is Paul speaking, and he says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable can't even say that word, riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Fascinating, fascinating scripture. Um, it's, so, it's so tempting just to write this off as poetic language, nice poetic language. But, but the truth which, which is in these verses has, has so changed the way that I think, changed the way that I live, um, and um, this is what we are going to unpack a little bit tonight. So Paul, he's saying, um, he, he's saying, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So he's saying that there's this mystery, something that has been, that has been secret, that hasn't been known throughout all the ages. And Paul is trying in words to bring to life this mystery that has been hidden and he says, so that the manifold wisdom of God, the manifold, that, that word manifold just means um, multifaceted, multi, almost multidimensional, much varied, much formed. Um, this manifold wisdom of God. What is wisdom? Wisdom of God, something to think about, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So he's saying there is a wisdom that is to come through the church that is to be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Did you even know that they existed? Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? What on earth is that? This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is saying there's this mystery that's been hidden throughout all the ages. He then goes on to talk about a wisdom that is to be made known, I believe, through a demonstration, through us as his people, a demonstration or a wisdom that's to be made known to this unseen, invisible realm, these rulers and these authorities in the heavenly places that is so eternally significant to us as his people that we can't go past it. We can't just write off as, as nice poetic language. There's a purpose for the church to make this wisdom known. It's so, what on earth are you talking about, man? Like We don't even in the West acknowledge the existence of a spiritual realm let alone our primary purpose and our being to demonstrate a wisdom to it. What? Like, anyway, that's just the introduction. This is what I'm going to be talking about tonight anyway. Um, so, like I said, bear with me as I try to put words to something that is so far beyond anything that can come out of my, out of my mouth. Anyway, um, so firstly, wisdom. What, what is wisdom? Is it being real smart, intellect, being brainy, having the most degrees or the most letters behind my name. Is that what wisdom is? We're going to have a look at that right now. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you put your finger in Ephesians 3 and head over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you 
except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Interesting. Paul desires to know nothing. Like, not this is the main thing. He's saying there is nothing else that I want to know except Christ and him crucified. We preach a lot about knowing Christ. Just think about this for a second. What does it mean to know him crucified? Interesting. We'll keep going. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. You hear again that word wisdom. On the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Interesting. Could preach a sermon on every one of these verses. But I'm just going to pick a few things out of this at the moment. So, verse 4, says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. We hear that word wisdom again. Nothing in his words could bring about that which he is saying. Nothing in his words could do anything. But in demonstration... But in demonstration, not even in a demonstration, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What does it mean to demonstrate power? What does it mean to demonstrate the Spirit? Like I said again, not a demonstration, not an event, not something that he has physically done, but demonstration, I believe, in his entire being, in his entire personhood, a demonstration. So he's saying, there's nothing in words that can that can bring about this reality of Christ. It's a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I find that absolutely, absolutely fascinating that, um, that this message that he has came through a demonstration and not through preaching a message. What is he demonstrating? I, I believe it's, it's what he's talking about in the verse before, Christ and him crucified. Absolutely fascinating. One we have here, it's not about wisdom in terms of words or anything he could have said, but it's in a demonstration. So if you want to flick up the next slide, Ben. Um, so I've, I've here just compiled um, what, what I believe to just some of the key points. I haven't put all the scriptures up, so if you do... Um, want scriptures for all these things, you can email me or something like that. Um, so just here, have a contrast between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Just have a few points. Selfless. God's wisdom is selfless. It's, it's humble. He's eternal. It's unconditional. There's no personal benefit. It's motivated by love. And I've put here at the bottom, this is, this is the key, is that God's wisdom is completely embodied by the person of Jesus Christ. So to know Christ is to know wisdom. He is the physical flesh and blood demonstration of God's wisdom, his value system, his way of thinking, his mode of being, completely embodied in a person that is Jesus. On, on, the, on the contrast, we have the world's wisdom, which is selfish, arrogant, prideful. Um, it's temporary. The wisdom of God is eternal. The wisdom of the world is everything to do with the here and now. Um, just as a completely random side note, I just was reading was um, reading today, and it's been on my mind the last little while, in, um, in 1 John, and it says, Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Do not love the world or the things in the world. What's in the world? Marriage, friendship, jobs, success. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love what is in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. The love of the Father is not in you? Whoa, that's just a side note. That's got absolutely nothing to do with anything. All right. Um, back on track. All right, so 1 Corinthians 2. So Paul is saying this message that he's preaching, it's not about words, but it's in a demonstration, which we know is a demonstration of Christ. He, he completely embodied this wisdom, a demonstration of Christ. Um, so thinking, what does it mean to be to, to know Christ and him, and him crucified? So um, yeah, just keep, keep that in mind as we go on throughout the message. The next thing I just want to talk about is Christ and how he demonstrated this wisdom um, when he came to earth. I, I, think about, um, I think about Jesus and his almost like his inauguration as king. And in my Bible, it, the title is the triumphant entry. The triumphant entry. And the king of kings and the lord of lords in his triumphant entry gets a donkey and rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And not only that, it wasn't even his own donkey. It was a borrowed donkey. A borrowed donkey. And it's called the triumphant entry. This is our king demonstrating this other wisdom. God's wisdom. The humility of the man. It would be like President Barack Obama rocking up to his, his presidential inauguration on a little nifty 50 scooter. <laughs> What are you doing, man? You're the president. Get in your Rolls Royce. Jesus, you are the king of kings, introducing yourself as the king of heaven and earth for all eternity, and he rocks up on a borrowed donkey. It's not a wisdom that is just of words. It's a demonstration of another reality. His wisdom, absolute humility, absolute unconditional love with no personal benefit to himself, a demonstration of another way of thinking, another way of operating, another way of being from a different kingdom. Fascinating, hey? Once again, how the king of heaven and earth can come to his disciples and wash their feet. It's another wisdom. So what would the wisdom, if that's the wisdom of God, what would the wisdom of the world look like? I'd say anything that is centered on self. So the world's, the world's wisdom can be so subtle, just like God's wisdom can be so subtle. On, on the outward appearance, they could look so much the same. I could be standing up here, and I could be operating under God's wisdom or the world's wisdom. One is glorifying self, and the other one 
is absolute humility, bringing all glory and honor to him. I, I think about um, the, Lord's, the Lord's prayer. And at the end of the Lord's prayer, it says now, to him be the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. To him be the kingdom, the power and the glory. I personally believe this is the hardest thing to come out of the heart and, and through a human mouth. To him be the glory. Because the reality is we were all born with a selfish condition. We were all born into this way of operating until God himself chose to come to demonstrate this other reality, to forgive us from our sins, from our iniquities, and to demonstrate for us his reality that is embodied in Christ. Um, so it's, it's so subtle. It's that you do a job for your boss so that you can be seen as recognized. It's so subtle. The nature of the human heart. His wisdom is so, it's just, it's unbelievably beautiful. There is no self in it. Every little thought and intention. The outward appearance can look exactly the same, but he is not interested in that. He's looking to the heart. Is this a demonstration of complete and absolute selflessness? So, Interesting, eh? Interesting. All right. So, the cross. Still in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. My Bible, the title is, oh, funnily enough, The Wisdom of God. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's up there. So easy to just read over this verse. There's so much, there's so much gold just in this one verse. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So to the world... To those who aren't saved, to those who are perishing, the word of the cross is absolute nonsense. Oh, I thought the word of the cross was about getting my free ticket to heaven. I thought it was about being saved. There's elements of truth in that, absolutely. But there's something so much greater about this message of the cross that maybe we have not even thought about before foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But to us, that word us in the Greek is a very personal pronoun. Most of the time it's used for I, for me. So Paul is saying, but to, to me and you guys, to the church, to those who are saved, or to those who are being saved. Interesting, the tense of that verb, being saved. Not to those who have been saved or those who will be saved, but to those who are being saved, to those who are in the process of salvation. The cross is the power of God. Now, the cross, absolutely. If you pray a, if you pray a prayer with all your heart, 
asking Jesus to, to come in and be your Lord and Savior, that's abso- absolutely forgiveness from, from sins. That's, um, this is, I'm talking about something that goes beyond that. Um, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, but to me and you who are in the process of salvation, the cross is the power of God. Fascinating. The cross is the power of God to us as a church. What is that power? What is that power? The power of the cross. Man, I just thought that the cross was pray a prayer and get forgiven for your sins. Maybe there's something more to it than that. We'll just read on in that verse. I'm just going to skip down to 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preached Christ crucified. Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and here we have that word again, the wisdom of God. Christ crucified the power of God and the wisdom of God. I have here, the cross is a demonstration of absolute selflessness, where every, every bit of selfish ambition, jealousy, every self-desire um, is, is dealt to and done away with. Is as we come to the cross that his power is released and we come into his nature as selfless one in every, in every way. Um, all right. The cross is the power of God to those who are in the process of salvation. The power of God. Greg talked last week about the power of God and how it is, I think there's a verse in Ephesians which talks about um, according to the immeasurably great power that is at work within us. His immeasurably great power that is at work within us. The power of the cross, the wisdom of God the being demonstrated in this power. This is the way that Jesus lived. He lived out the cross. He didn't just go to the cross once. He lived. His whole life was a demonstration of the cross. Why could he live a life of, of power? Remember, um, most of you, if you were here last week, would have, would have heard about this power, this power first and foremost being an internal power that manifests itself in external ways. Um, this, um, you know, there's, all right, pause at a moment and we'll come back to that point. So don't forget what I've been talking about. Just want to say one more thing before we go into the fullness of that power. Um, we think back to, think, think back to that verse in, Ephesians. I hope you're following me. Are you following me? Yeah, okay, good. I, am, I told you I was going to jump all over the place a little bit. All right. So, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. All right. So we've talked about the wisdom of God. We know it's a demonstration, not just an intellectual intelligence. 
And we know that the wisdom of God is this absolute selflessness. It's, it's a demonstration of Christ. It's Christ in a person, right? And then he says, so that the wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, through you and I, corporately and individually, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. All right, one second. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, triumphing them, triumphing over them by the cross. When we look back in, um, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, he says, Yet we do not speak a wisdom among those, or yet we do speak a wisdom among those who are mature. However, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Mm, fascinating. Who is, um, who is the ruler of this age? Who does the Bible say the ruler of this age is? God or Satan? Satan. Satan is the ruler of this age. And so what he's saying here, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified Jesus if they had understood this wisdom. If they, if they had understood this demonstration that he was making at the cross, they wouldn't have crucified him. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So, so Christ is making a demonstration at the cross that this invisible realm could not comprehend or even understand. What on earth is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords doing? Humiliate! It's so humiliating. What is he doing? They could not comprehend why he would live this way. But it was a demonstration of such an incredible, incredible kind. This, for us, we've seen this verse in Ephesians, God is waiting for his people, for the church, to make the same demonstration to the principalities and the power and powers in the heavenly realms. And I believe it comes through the cross. It comes through so dying to self, having the nature of Christ so um, worked out in your heart that you are demonstrating the same thing in your life that Christ demonstrated in his. This absolute selflessness that every little bit of your heart would be Christ, that every thought would be Christ, that every action would be Christ. Now, the thing about the, um, the rulers and the authorities in, this, in the heavenly realms, this unseen, invisible spiritual realm, I believe is that they can't be faked. And your actions, you cannot prove anything to them. Now, God is waiting for a demonstration by the church to be made to an invisible realm, not even to the world, 
God is not waiting for us to demonstrate something to the world. He's waiting for us to demonstrate something so unseen, so so hidden. Now, I believe that when the church does this, a world will see, a world will know why. Because the church are evangelizing to them? Because the church has agendas to convert them? No. 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 I have to tell my workmates when I talk to them about Christ, I have absolutely no agendas to convert anybody now. I just, I just live my life, the life that, that Christ has put in me. As I come into this, to this place of dying to self, having Christ manifested in my heart, in my life, in my mind, in my thinking, in my being, in my doing, I am demonstrating, I am demonstrating him. Um, I, I think of, of Jesus' teachings, and he's, um, he's saying, when you give, don't let your right hand Know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, don't stand on the street corners. Go into your closet and pray where no one can see you. Why? Because we are to be demonstrating to the world? Or is it something that is so real, so authentic, so unseen? This is when you know when it's real, where there's no one around, when, when no one would know that you, when you at work would... Um, do something to honor and to serve your boss without any form of recognition. This is when you know when it's real. When a wife chooses to submit to her husband, when no one would know and no one would see. It's a demonstration of another wisdom that's not even to people. It's a demonstration to an unseen, invisible realm. It's so real and it's so authentic and it will only happen if it's Christ in you. See, they can't be faked by actions, this un- un- unseen, invisible realm. I know for me, one of the, the, one of the massive things um, that I, I talked about last time I preached was, um, was uh, to do with my, with my granddad, who is a pastor and a preacher his, his whole life. I shared a little bit about this last time. Um, his, his whole life preaching, being a missionary, he was just talking, um, hey, hey, mum, um, um, last time I came over for dinner last week, about mum and dad went to a wedding. Um, he worked in the Solomon Islands, or went over to the Solomon Islands, and about 30 years on, they, they were still honoring mum and dad for the work that my granddad had done in the Solomon Islands. He was an incredible man. But uh, about, about five, ten years ago, he, he made a choice to, to renounce all of his faith, to, to go another way, to not follow Jesus anymore after a whole life of preaching and being a missionary. He doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in the power of God. And he calls God and, and it, not, not a him. And so for me to, to hear this and to see his whole life of incredible works, um, for me this was, I said last week, uh, last time was such a, like an earthquake, you know, um, not knowing what was true and what wasn't, but having to seek for myself to see um, even if God was real. And so for me to see this whole life of works, knowing that it was all out of his own ability, his own strength, his own initiation, very good works, preachings, getting people saved, all this, all this sort of thing, knowing that there must be something more. So you can't make any form of demonstration to the unseen, invisible realm in and of your actions, in and of doing things for God. The only demonstration comes through Christ in you. How is Christ in you formed? Through the cross. The only way it's formed is through the cross. 
For the message of the cross is absolute and complete utter nonsense to those who are perishing, but to us, to me and you who are in the process of salvation, it is the power of God, true power to take me from my selfishness, from my arrogance, from wanting to be seen, to be recognized, and to the very likeness of Christ himself. This is the power of the cross. You cannot make any form of demonstration unless it is Christ in you. Your works, your, your talking, your, all your actions are worthless unless they come from a place of Christ in you. And how does that come? The power of the cross. The, the cross, man, I, I grew up in church. I heard about the cross every week. Normally it was just about being forgiven. To see, to see the power of the cross, not just in a, in a preaching. This is, my, this is my life now. I can talk about the power of the cross only because I know it in my own heart. I know my arrogance. I know what my heart was like. I know my pride, my selfishness, my jealousy. How, how... <laughs> You know, no other religion can bring about this change. You know, I, you know, no, I can't go to a motivational speaker and have 10 points to a better life. It is absolutely impossible. Only through the cross, only through his immeasurably great power that is at work within me. No, like I said, no religion can address the issues of the human heart. No government. We have a whole world of corrupt government, and they are all trying to do good for their people. Actually, sorry, I should say not all of them are. The ones that are trying to do good still can't. There is nothing that you can do in terms of putting on a, a program, um, the government making legislation that can address that which is in the human heart, but by the cross. The power, the power is real. But there's no shortcuts. There's absolutely no shortcuts. You can't hear a good sermon and have the power of the cross manifested in your heart. There's no, the only way is to come like Jesus to the same place of such death to self to be so desperate, to be on your knees, to, to give up everything, to die to your own selfishness, your own selfish desires, and only then and in that place is the power of God manifested. When I think about, now, now this is, it sounds like such spiritual talk, but it is so real in everyday life. You know, I think about a, um, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the concept of marriage, and I'm not even married, you know, um, it's, uh, it's so fascinating how you have a husband and a wife. And it says, um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And wives, submit to your husbands. Why on earth would a wife submit to her husband? It seems so demeaning, so second rate, so... The man is the best and the female is virtually worthless. 
to, to, it seems so, so absolutely bizarre. Why on earth would they do that? Why would a husband love his wife in a way that Christ loved the church? Why would, why would he give himself up for her? Why wouldn't he focus on himself and making himself awesome and having the career and having the job? Why is his role to love her as Christ loved the church? Now, we can do this in our Christianity, in our works. You can be a Christian and conceptually love your wife, and a wife can conceptually submit to her husband. But I personally believe it's only through the power of the cross that any form of selfless demonstration can be made. A husband cannot love his wife like Christ loved the church unless that power, unless he first comes to the cross and that power is manifested in his own heart, that grace is released to love her in this way. A wife cannot submit to her husband. Like I said, it seems so second rate. But when a wife truly chooses to, the word submit in the Greek just means arrange and under, to arrange yourself under. Why on earth would she do that? And I believe that demonstration is not possible unless in her heart there is, a, there is the cross is at work. She has been brought to such a place of selflessness. The thing about the power of the cross is that it becomes a, it becomes a joy. You're now living out of power and out of life. This demonstration is not because you have to. You've come so close to the likeness of Christ that when this power is manifested in, in your heart, it becomes a joy. It bec- you long to. You long to be no one. You long, you long to serve your boss when no one is looking. You long to submit to Greg. You long to, to love your mum and dad. Man, mum and dad, I didn't even... I wish I had known this 10 years ago, eh? <laughs> um, and I'm only, only just, I'm only just learning it now. You know, um, it's such a demonstration that no one would ever know, no one would ever see. But in your heart of hearts, you are manifesting, demonstrating a selfless reality, not to be seen, because it's a demonstration to the unseen, invisible realm. But when you do that, it is so seen. When the church lives like this. It's something that the world has never, I believe, has never seen it before. Where Christians come not to convert the world, but to demonstrate Christ. And then their words are powerful. For my message and my preaching were not in wise and persuasive words, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In a demonstration of the Spirit and and of power, that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. For our world to see the, this demonstration of Christ. <laughs> Can you see how words do not cut this thing? How words cannot have anything to, I don't, I'm, I'm lost for words. I'm literally lost for words. And this is the role of the church, that we would so demonstrate Christ. 
John 17, it says, we've talked about this so many times, it says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's no oneness, there's no unity, unless we as individuals and we as a body come to this place of the cross of absolute selflessness, having the nature and the character of Christ manifested in our hearts that a husband would love his wife and a wife would love her husband. This is just one example, one environment of, of oneness. But that's where it starts. It starts in marriage. <clears throat> it starts in family. It starts with your boss. But back to this verse in Ephesians. Christ is, is looking that this demonstration, it says, would come through the church. Not just through individual superstars, but through the church as a whole. Through the church as a whole. How is that even going to be possible? Can we, can we come to this place of the cross? Can we come to this place of absolute selflessness? Is it possible? Is it possible? With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is the power of the cross. There is nothing in my own ability, there is nothing in your ability to be good, to do good works that it can achieve anything that can make any form of demonstration but through the power of the cross working inside the heart of every individual believer that as a body we would demonstrate the nature and the character of Christ to this unseen invisible as a body that means that means you every single one if you choose not to it affects the whole body He's looking for his body, for his people corporately to come to this place. It starts in our hearts, and then it starts in your family, and then it starts in your workplace, your life group, and then us as a whole. You actually don't have any say in this. You don't have the option. If um, I just like a raise of hands, who here is part of the church? Okay, so this is for you. You don't have, this is not optional. He says, he didn't say that some people would manifest this lifestyle and other people wouldn't. This is for every single one of you. And if you choose not to, it affects all of us. Now, my business is now your business. Now we have to walk together because your decisions actually affect me. And if you're not choosing to live this lifestyle, that is my business now. That's what you sign up for when you're a part of the church. It's for, for all of us, no exceptions. Whether you've been saved a minute or you've been saved 50 years, you better get on that process. I think about the demonstration of Christ himself and how he modeled this oneness. You have the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the Son submitting to the Father, and you have the Holy Spirit submitting to Jesus. Was the Son inferior in some way to the Father? 
Was the, was the Holy Spirit second rate to the Son because he had to submit? Or were they demonstrating a reality of such absolute humility and oneness? This is the same for all of us that when you see first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, when you see the husband is the head of the wife, when you see slaves love your masters, or for me, I reckon this is present day employees submit to your bosses. It's not at all second rate. Why? Because the power of Christ in you is so real that it becomes an absolute joy. It was for the son, it was a joy to submit to his father. Does it mean it's easy? No. Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me as he's sweating drops of blood from his forehead. It's not necessarily easy, but his grace and his power. But not my will, but your will be done. I think of the words that he says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. For us to so see the prize, to so see what he is calling us into, motivates and inspires us to live this way. There's no way that you'd live this lifestyle unless Christ is in you. you. It's absolutely and completely impossible. But it's so demonstrated in in Him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all so so equally, so important, the same they are one. The same nature in all of them. But the Son chooses to submit to the Father, not because He's inferior. Holy Spirit chooses to submit to the Son. And this is the same reality that Christ is looking for us to, to demonstrate um, in our lives. So, and just on to the last verse, it says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, like I showed on that PowerPoint before, the wisdom of God is an eternal wisdom. He doesn't think in the here and now. He's God. He's outside of space and time. He thinks in terms of eternity. So when we read these verses like, do not love the world or the things of the world. For if you love the things of this world, the love of the Father is not in you. This wisdom, this demonstration is for an eternal purpose that he is carrying out. Unless you, unless you see his eternal purpose and what he is calling you to, there is no way that you would make yourself nothing now. There's no way that you'd be seen as a wife being seen as somehow second rate. There's no way you should submit. There's no, there's no way you'd make yourself nothing. But in the light of eternity, this demonstration becomes so very much real. The way that you live your life now, if you're seen, if you're recognized, if you're significant, has absolutely no hold on you whatsoever because you are living out of eternity. And this is what faith is. Uh, when we see in, um, I think it's Hebrews chapter 11, we see all these men of faith. And it says, I might just read it actually. This is the last thing, I promise. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. Assurance, conviction. These are the words that he uses to describe faith, not a blind belief in something. Assurance and conviction. 
And then he goes on to list about all of these heroes in the faith who treated their, their homes, their life, as if it was so temporary because they were looking to something that was eternal. And this is the same for us, that when we so see eternity, you can live your life now as a servant. You can submit. You can, there's no other ulterior motive. When you are living out of this place of eternity, and I think of Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Living out of the life and the power of, of this eternity um, that motivated him to live a lifestyle in the here and now that he would probably not have lived otherwise. And this is the same for us. Um, because I could go on and on about eternity, but because of time, something for you to look up yourself later on. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure out of everything I said, there may be some things that made a lot of sense, some things that did not make quite as much sense, and that's totally cool. Go and listen to it again. Come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, and remember that phone. Ben, if you just would be able to whack that phone number up again. Do we have time, Greg? Is that all good? Or? Yeah, so sweet. Ben, if you just want to whack that phone number back up. So if you have questions, um, if you have thoughts, if you have comments, if you have things that maybe didn't quite make sense, um, any second they will whack that phone number up and you can send a text with your question. Um, give you one or two minutes max to, to write in this question. So if you have a thought or a question, write it in right now. Um, So I'm saying that your that your decision making when you're a part of when you're a part of the body, if you choose to be, um, if you choose to do your own thing. So when I think about um, a wife, a wife and a husband, right? Um, the call for a husband is to love Christ the way that, sorry, to to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and the call of of a of a wife is to submit to that husband, um, regardless of what one person or the other does. That's the call for both of them. So the only way unity can be achieved is if both of those two people come together and live out that lifestyle. If the husband chooses to love his wife and if the wife chooses to submit to her husband, right? Um, otherwise, it's, otherwise it's disjointed. It's one of them desiring something and the other one not. The unity is found when both people come through that same process together, when both people die, are so dead to self that they... Um, that they can love, that they can submit. And that's where true unity is formed, is when both people together choose to go through that process and to live that same lifestyle. Does that make sense?
Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the husband-wife is just the easiest example to use, but it's for all of us. It says, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. So it's it's the way that we are to interact with one another, that I would be so selfless that um, I wouldn't be seeking my own agenda, my own desires, but I would only be seeking Christ, and you would be only seeking Christ. You wouldn't be seeking to be to have your own agenda, your own things, but as a, we would both be so selfless that we'd have one mind, one spirit, one heart, we'd think the same, we'd... Make sense? Yeah, cool. All right. All right, good question. So what if the husband doesn't love her like Christ does? What if the husband doesn't love her like Christ does? That's an absolutely beautiful question. So, like I, I think I maybe touched on that just a little bit in the last question. Um, you have this process where the husband is to love the wife like Christ loved the church, and you have um, the other side of things where the wife is to submit to the husband. This is the reality that's going to be operating all the time for us as a church, for us as individuals, that uh, we are all in, at different levels on this. So, um, there is nothing and then of your own ability that can make anybody do anything. So just say I'm, I'm married to Greg. Um, he's a good-looking bride. Um, um, yep. Um, so if, I'm, if, I'm the, if, I, or if, he's, if he's the wife, his responsibility as given by God is to submit to her husband. So I've heard teachings before where it says the wife is only to submit if the husband does his part and loves Christ like, um, you know, loves her like Christ loved the church. No, that's actually not what it's saying. It says, wives, submit to your husband. That's the responsibility of the wife and the responsibility individually of the husband is to love that wife. So um, for Greg, for Greg, my wife, when I'm acting selfless, uh, selfishly, when I'm not loving her the way that Christ love the church, um, he cannot do anything in and of his own ability to force me into anything. The only way that he can, um, that he can do anything, I believe, is by demonstrating this reality himself in the hope, praying, praying, praying that, um, that, he, that I would see Christ's nature inside of him and that I would be convicted um, to live that same lifestyle, that I would enter through that same process that he has been through, that process of the cross, having the nature of Christ formed inside of me, and only then can we together be, be unified and be as one. So um, if, if the husband is not loving the wife, the wife's job and responsibility is still to submit, but in that to demonstrate the very nature and the character of Christ so that her husband would... Um, come into that same reality and that's when unity is formed is when the husband sees that oh my goodness that is Christ in you and chooses to go through that same process and that's when the two become one all right next question oh, I just had a compliment for looking good love you love you too James Unless, no more questions unless anybody else has anything they want to say quickly. Cool.
Thanks, team. Thanks for sticking. I know it's been a little bit long, but thanks for sticking with it. Cheers.